Let me invite you to open up God's Word with me this morning to the book of Exodus as we continue looking at this this book, this important book of the Bible. We're in Exodus chapter 3 today as we continue uh, our sermon series, Unforgettable. Uh, I, I can remember uh, fairly well uh, about six and a half years ago receiving a, a call one evening from Dr. Paula Moore, uh, at the time serving as the chair of our Meadowbrook Pastor Search Committee. And I remember her sharing with me that night uh, about the committee uh, sensing the Lord leading them to explore whether or not uh, talking with me would be uh, the right next step, the appropriate step. And, and, and they felt led to pray with me and over me about whether or not the Lord was leading me to become the next uh, pastor here at Meadowbrook Baptist Church. And I remember getting off the phone that night and I remember a number of emotions overwhelming me, uh, but my sufficiency was not one of them, I assure you. Felt that way for a number of weeks, months, still feel uh, that way, uh, but have been reminded, am reminded, that this is often the way that the Lord works. Uh, and when He calls and commissions and equips us, He, he calls us to go in His power and His presence, and He is the one who enables us and who works despite us, in us and through us and beyond us for His glory. Our sufficiency is of God. And that's a truth that we'll see in his word this morning. In our text in Exodus chapter 3, it's clear that uh, when Moses is called by God, uh, Moses is not to go in his own power. He's not to go in his own strength. Uh, he is to go uh, in the Spirit's power as the Lord leaves, leads, uh, not leaves him, leads him, goes with him and works uh, in and through him for God's glory. And so as we uh, open God's word, we want to see uh, his presence, his power. We want to see his guidance. We want to be reminded. We need to be reminded. We ought to be reminded that he is enough, that he is sufficient. And so as you find your place in, in Exodus chapter 3, you can find this text on page 46 of a pew Bible. But as you find your place there, let me invite you uh, to join me standing, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of God's holy word. Exodus chapter 3, we'll read uh, the entire chapter, but to begin with, we'll read verses 1 through 10. The text reads this way, it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. And to bring them up out of that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Would you bow with me? 
Father, we thank you for this story. We thank you for your story. We thank you for your word and the way that you speak to us through it. And so, Father, we pray that now by the presence and power, the guidance of your Holy Spirit, we pray that you would speak to us now, for we are listening. Guide us, instruct us, convict us, shape us, encourage us, that we might walk according to who you are and who you call us to be. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, you may be seated. As we come to this point of uh, the story, God is responding to his people. God is responding to the cries of his people, but he is responding in accordance with his promises and in accordance with uh, his redemptive plan. In other words, God's actions here are not random. Uh, They're not reactionary. They're calculated and they're coordinated. Uh, And if you remember the story, we've seen God's hand already at work here. We've seen it in chapter 2. We've seen it in the miraculous way that Moses was spared from death as a baby boy, uh, born at a time when the king of Egypt was ordering the death of all Hebrew baby boys. But God intervened. God clearly stepped in and spared Moses because he had plans for Moses. But the timing and fulfillment of God's plans are carried out in response as the story goes, to the prayers of his people. God hears, God sees, and God knows his people. God does not forget his people. He remembers them and his good plans for them, and thus he begins to act on his good plans for his people. And as this story unfolds, as the story of Exodus unfolds, we see that the all-sufficient God stoops to save. The all-sufficient God Uh, The one who is high and lofty, majestic, the one who is sovereign over all, the one who who exists all by himself in the beginning, the all-sufficient God, he stoops down to save us. The creator responding to and rescuing the creatures. He comes down. And he comes down with a purpose. He comes to call Moses and to commission Moses to return to Egypt and to command Pharaoh to let the enslaved Israelites go to let them leave the land. Remember that Moses has already transitioned from Egyptian royalty uh, to to an exiled shepherd. He committed murder and he became a fugitive. He's on the run. You probably know of folks who have worked hard in life uh, and climbed up the corporate ladder, so to speak. Not so with Moses. Moses did quite the opposite. From a palace of abundant provision and power to a desert of herding sheep. And Egyptians despised shepherds. They hated shepherds. They saw uh, shepherds as having a lowly vocation. But here for 40 years, the Lord has taken care of Moses in the desert. He's taken care of Moses in Midian, providing a family, a vocation and preparation for ministry. God is far from through With Moses, from the call and the commission and the ministry of Moses, we see that God comes to deliver his people. God is a God who comes to deliver his people. Generations of Israelites enslaved in Egypt came and went, surely thinking at times, God has forgotten us. He he has given up on us. As a nomadic shepherd in the desert, estranged from his family and his people and his land, Moses surely must have thought at times, God has given up on me. 
He has forgotten me. I've blown my chance. Confronted with injustice, I committed murder and God is through with me. He must be raising up someone else to deliver his people. And then one day in the wilderness, as Moses was shepherding his flock, God comes down. God comes down and he dwells as a fire in a burning bush that never burns up. If you grew up in church, this is one of those stories you don't ever forget. Dramatically uh, shared in, uh, in, in children's books and dramatically illustrated in, in uh, illustrated Bibles. And rightly so, for something significant is unfolding here. Something special is, is happening here. Have you ever tried to burn brush or wood that wasn't fully dried out? You have to add a lot of tender. You have to add a, a lot of fuel. You have to add something to the fire to keep the flame going, to get it hot enough so that it will displace the moisture and consume the wood. You don't cut down a healthy tree today and and utilize it as firewood tomorrow. It's It's too green. If you want a fire, you need dry wood. And if you want it to last, you need a lot of it. Unless you are God. You see, in the burning bush, the Lord was teaching Moses... About himself. The presence of the Lord manifested in a fire that never ever runs out of fuel. His glory is constant. His beauty never diminishes. It never fades. He he keeps burning forever and ever because he is dependent on no one or nothing. He is self-existent, self-sufficient, complete and perfect all by himself. And in this way, he is altogether separate from us. Church, God is altogether separate from us. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. The ground was holy because the Holy One was there. No doubt you've been in a place, perhaps a building or a hospital, where on certain Uh, places on certain doors you see something like employees only or restricted access you cannot enter through these doors without proper credentials and here God is saying uh, this ground is holy because I am here and you cannot come into my presence without proper credentials you cannot come into my presence without my grace covering you God is teaching Moses that he is a consuming fire a jealous God Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 24 God is one who must be approached on his terms for our sin. Human sin causes a vast gulf between the holy, sinless creator and us sinful creatures. But even so, this all-sufficient God stoops down to save us. He comes to deliver his people. He has, he does, and he is. And therefore, the author of Hebrews says, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, shaken, He says to the church, he says to believers, you're you're part of something significant. You're part of Christ's kingdom. You're receiving something that cannot be taken away from you. And so be thankful and, and, and worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. The Bible does not present a picture of a weak or soft Lord. He is holy. He is righteous. He is majestic. He is sovereign. He is just. He is a mighty judge. But boy, do we live in a time and a place in which this image of God is ridiculed and attacked constantly. God is viewed as a pie in the sky 
possibility, but not as the almighty maker and sustainer of heaven and earth. And soon Moses would lead the delivered Israelites in in singing, Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. Church, there's no one like our God. He's altogether separate from us, and we must acknowledge his positional authority. Acknowledge his positional authority. He has authority over us simply because of who he is. Don't mess with him. Don't play with this fire. Church, one of the most obvious realities and yet most deep-seated personal struggles is living as if God is God and we are not. It's no secret that my proclivity to sin constantly lies to me, telling me that I am something I am not, that I am either more important than my creator declares me to be, or I am less important than my creator declares me to be. Friend, your identity, your value, your significance, your your position or place in, in history is known and understood only by recognizing the sovereign position of your maker and who he declares you to be. And praise him, he is altogether committed to saving us. He is a God who is altogether committed to saving us. He is not only altogether separate from us, holy, sovereign, righteous, and king, but he is altogether committed to saving us. See, when God comes down and speaks to Moses, he is stooping down to save. He is coming near to rescue. He is responding to the cries of his people. He is acting upon his promises and he is working for our good. Notice his compassionate character. Notice God's compassionate character. It's all over this story. It's all over the story of the the Bible. Exodus chapter 3 verse 7. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. I know what's going on with them, he says. So I have come down to rescue them. You see, our God knows we need to be rescued, and central to his plans for humanity, the prize of his creation, is redemption. Rescue from bondage. Restoration into right relationship with him. A gracious deliverance. A merciful intervention through a mediator. The raising up of a Savior who will rescue God's people so that they may know and worship Him. In Psalm 103, the psalmist celebrates the character of this God. Character of our God, the character of the only God. He says, God made known His ways to Moses, His deeds to the people of Israel. This one, the Lord, Yahweh, is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. This is the character of our God. The only God. The God who stoops down to save us. This is who he is and this is what he does. God saves God redeems. He rescues. Apart from him, there would be no salvation. But because of him, our salvation is secure. Church, God guarantees the deliverance of his people. God is the one who guarantees the deliverance of of his people. The story continues in this way. Let's look back at 
Exodus chapter 3, picking up in verse 11. But Moses responds and says to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God says to him, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses says to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? And what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to them. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Verse 16, God says, go, go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you. And I have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. A land flowing with milk and honey. And then he goes on. He says, the elders of Israel will listen to you. They're going to listen to you. He says, then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to do sacrifices to the Lord our God. God says, but I know the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. And after that, he will let you go. So here in this story, God shows up to Moses in the desert and he declares to Moses, it doesn't matter, Moses, so much who you are, but what matters is who I am. I am God and I am sufficient for you. Friend, do you believe that God is sufficient? Do you believe that he is enough for you? Do you believe that his presence in your life is your greatest need? Does your life, your perspective on family and vocation and recreation, on money and sex and relationships and church attendance and all things that fill your mind and your schedule suggest that you believe God's presence in your life is your greatest need? Friend, He is sufficient. He is sufficient. He is all sufficient. Our sufficiency is of God. He provides. He sustains. Not only our lives, but all of creation. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 11. He says, for from him, from God, from God and through God and for God are all things. To him be the glory forever. God calls Moses to go and then he says, I will be with you. God doesn't. Doesn't this sound, church, like the commission, the great commission that Jesus gives to us? Jesus says to his followers, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything, uh, everything I have commanded you. And Jesus then says, and surely I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm with you always to the very end of the age 
God calls his servants to do his work, but we're not called to do it in our power. He goes with us and he works through us. He is sufficient. And one reason that he is sufficient is because God is self-existent. He is self-existent. Again, he stands apart and above in a category all by himself. I think Moses is a pretty smart guy. He knows it will likely take some convincing the Israelites that he is representing their God. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and that uh, confronting Pharaoh is indeed the right move, is indeed a good idea. He can't just show up and say a, a burning bush told me to tell you, God, what is your name? Who are you? What am I to tell them? God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And then he goes on. God reveals his covenant personal name to Moses in verse 15. Yahweh. Probably written in your English Bible as the Lord in all caps. That's the way it's translated in most of our English Bibles. Has been for centuries reflecting reverence for the holy name. Out of fear of mispronouncing it and thereby taking God's name in vain. We seem to have lost that deep respect for the Lord today. We often invoke his name flippantly and casually and carelessly. But this name Yahweh appears nearly 7,000 times in the Old Testament. And it means he is. God says, tell them I am has sent me. Then he says, tell the Israelites he is has sent me to you. God says, I am who I am. His name occurs in the present tense for he stands outside of time. He just is. He always is. No real past or future, just an eternal present. He always is and his character is constant. He is eternal and unchanging and he says to Moses, go tell the people who I am. Friend, let me ask you this morning, do you know who he is? Do you know this one who is the great I am? The one who stands outside of time. The almighty maker of heaven and earth. The one who sustains life day by day, moment by moment. The one who holds the world in his hands. Do you know this one? The one who depends on no one and nothing for his existence. Did you know that this one, the great I am, has come to deliver you? He has come near. He has stooped down to save. He has come in the very flesh. John chapter 8, verse 58. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. A clear declaration from the very lips of Jesus that he is the same God, the same one who appeared to Moses in the burning bush. And that he is the same God who would free the Israelites. Go and tell them who I am. Believer, won't you tell others who God is? Tell others who he is. That the one who appeared to Moses is the Christ who comes to save. Tell them. Tell the world that he is sufficient and that he is self-existent and that he delivers that he delivers from sin and from brokenness, from disease and from death. This is not one to be ashamed of or to apologize for. 
He is altogether separate, but he is altogether committed to saving us. To declare who he is is also to announce what he says. To share his word. And so God says to Moses, verse 16, Moses, go. Assemble the elders. Assemble the leaders of Israel and say to them, Moses, go tell them what I have said and they will listen to you because what I am sending you to say is from me. Church, his word accomplishes his purposes. God's word accomplishes his purposes. There is no word like God's word. There is no message like God's message. There is no counsel like God's counsel. For my thoughts, God says, are not your thoughts. Neither are uh, your ways my ways. He says in Isaiah 55, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. He says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields its seed for the sower and bread for the eater, God says, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purposes for which I sent it. And church, this is why I don't stand before you on Sunday mornings and allow the text of God's word to fade into the background. This is why we stand and read our preaching text for the day. This is why oftentimes we will read lengthier texts like this because God speaks through his word. This is why faithful teachers and preachers refuse to simply read a Bible verse, put it aside, and then say whatever it is they want to say or whatever it is they think people want to hear. Paul counseled Timothy, preach the word, the word. The word of the living God. And I'm urging followers of Jesus gathered in this place, across this room this morning, Sunday school teachers and family devotional leaders, spouses and neighbors, teammates and coaches, engineers and nurses and business executives, preach the word of God. Proclaim the word of God. Tell others what God has said. Tell others what the living God has said. Go believing that your sufficiency for the task is of God. And go telling that the all-sufficient God stoops to save. That he is gracious and compassionate. That he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That he does have a redemptive plan that he has carried out, is carrying out, and will continue to carry out, saving sinners by his grace through the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you believe in the God of this word? Do you believe in the God of scriptures? Believe in him. Submit to him. Lay your life before him and serve him for he is enough. He is enough for you. It's enough for us. He is what we need. Do you believe that God is enough for you today? Do you believe that he is your greatest need? And he supplies your greatest need by his grace through salvation and through a mediator, a servant, a savior. King of kings and Lord of lords, taking on human flesh, humbling himself, becoming one of us, ultimately living the perfect life so that he could lay down his life as a substitutionary sacrifice in our place that that we could be saved, that we could have eternal life, that we could be forgiven of our sins, that we could be restored into a right relationship with God, that we could approach him confidently and boldly, that we could come into his presence because he accepts us through Jesus. Do you believe he's enough?
Church, may we be a people who live as if he is enough, as if our sufficiency is of him. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you for loving us despite our sin. We thank you for rescuing us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, we thank you for stooping down to save, for coming to deliver, for being committed to us, Lord, for speaking to us through your word, for inviting us to to know and follow after you, to enjoy you forever. Lord, may we be a people who know and enjoy you now and forever. May we be a people who are hungry for you more than anything else this world has to offer. Lord, break our hearts over our sin. Draw us into your presence. Overwhelm us with joy at the thought of your forgiveness. Lord, we declare this morning that our sufficiency is of you. Lord, may we live like it. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.